This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Natalie Brunswick of the Highly Sensitive Family. <laughs> Hello, my Welcome. dear. Welcome. Oh Thank my you gosh. For it's so me. funny because the moment you came on, I was like, hey, bud, as if I know you. I know. So well. I like, I'm like, I wish I could just like hang out on your couch and we could just chill oh. and spend the afternoon talking. Wouldn't that well, be I've nice? been really hoping to do like a, an event where we could like all hang out, you know, because it's been like a year and a half of this beautiful podcast and so many amazing people have come on and maybe we should just hang out. So I'm you should do it. I actually had a vision of it. I was like thinking of like oh, all the incredible people you've had on. I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing if like all of us could get together selfishly because I like you've had some incredible people on. I'm like, I want to meet some of these people. I know. I know. I want to meet some of these people again. Like I am so just do it. We should just do it. Yeah. Well, what we really should do, what we really should do is introduce you and say that I, I feel like I know you because I think you share so authentically, so helpfully so of your heart um, in your writing and in your courses. I took your sleep course. Um, and it really it really makes me feel like I know you and that I know a little bit more about myself too. So I just wanted to thank you for that, for your wholeheartedness, for your sensitive soul, for your work in the world. Um, we have your bio in the show notes, but I like to ask people to maybe introduce themselves as they are today, like who are you? Who is Natalie Brunswick today? Hmm. I will. I will share. But first, I also just want to say thank you because I remember when I first came across your profile, I was like, "What a freaking joy!" Like the joy and like exuberance for life that you bring to your account and like what you put out into the world. It's infectious and it is beautiful and so authentically you. And I like look forward to seeing you every time you like show up. So I just wanted Thank to like you. throw that back. Throw you that know, back. I forget you. how badly I <clears throat> I need to hear that sometimes. And to hear that from you really, really makes my day. Really does. Like that powerful reflect reflection from someone that I really admire. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. you who are, are you? So who am I? My goodness, what a loaded question, huh? I know. So I'm a mom to mm. two boys. Mm. I'm a wife. I am a therapist. So I am an occupational therapist and a psychotherapist, which mm. is part of what landed me into the world of my Instagram account, being able to bring like my OT lens around pediatrics and sensory and neurodiversity and all of that stuff. And also my work as a trauma therapist. I mostly mm. do trauma work with um, with adults, teenagers and adults. Mm. Um, and I remember like when I became a mom, like a few months after when you start pre-pandemic, when you start going to like the mom and baby groups. And I remember like walking into the groups and being like, listening to the way moms were talking about sleep mm. and be like, you all sound like my car accident patients. Like mm. moms just like, it was like all these new moms were just like walking like traumatized 
bodies who were so anxious about sleep in particular, but everything. And and so that kind of started my journey into parenting and parents' mental health and family Mm -hmm. mental health Mm -hmm. and what became my Instagram account because it just was like this thing. As soon as I became a parent, I was like, oh, we have all these these anxious, traumatized parents. Of course, we have all these anxious kids. Like right. we have an epidemic, and we all need more support. And nobody's talking about the nervous system to parents. And so I just started talking and couldn't shut up. <laughs> and here I am, like two years later. Two years and, and like a, a hundred thousand people later. I mean, mm-hmm. and beautiful, beautiful, thoughtful content. Your your aesthetic is so clean and so inviting um, and rather private. I noticed that you you actually don't share like the photos of your children, but you, you share of their, um, your experience of them, which is really helpful. I mean, it's really wildly helpful. And the interesting thing about um, being an audience member and, and really a student of yours is that you don't um, separate yourself from the pack, which I think is a new thing in psychotherapy. And uh, perhaps like the coaching model has helped and the sort of democratization of social media, which has absolute downfalls. But what I really appreciate is that you use your storytelling to say, I'm on this journey with you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something I promised myself I would do. Like I'm a kid who really struggled. Like I struggled with my mental health for years um, and came from like dysfunction and mm. and felt really alone and didn't actually find so much help from the establishment. Like did not actually find the medical model to be the thing that helped me. What saved me was books and stories mm. and memoirs and people <gasps> sharing their stories. Wait. And oh, oh my God, that's so yeah, crazy go, because go, go. when I was a child, <laughs> I also um like devoured biographies, which mm-hmm. you know is essentially what this podcast is, right? It's like biography after biography because I find people I felt it I felt it was so healing. Memoirs. And you know so like, healing. Yeah. So and and being and, empathetic and I think if we can get into what a highly sensitive person is, you know I, which I identify as partially thanks to you. Um, I think know, like knowing that, you know, like the hero's journey, reading it, it was so amazing. It's to hope. Me. And it's so That's nice. Hope. No, That's right? hope. That's so that was we very need helpful to, know to you. It's possible to come out. Yeah. I mean, that is what keeps us going, right? We need to know that it's possible to get out of whatever darkness we're in. But something I noticed on my own journey was that a lot of the stories kind of skip over the process. Mm. (laughs) Like the reality of my healing journey was like, it was a decade probably. It was like a decade of like two steps forward, three steps back and like messy, murky, like took a long time. And I think sometimes we hear stories like, I really struggled, but now I'm great. Mm. And it doesn't actually share the humanness of what healing is. And now that I have the privilege of being a therapist, like this is this is what it looks like. Like it takes time to 
shift our patterns, to, you know, heal our nervous systems, to shift our beliefs and to build the relationships and the life that is going to nourish mm-hmm. us. It's not a, a quick journey. And so I promised that like if I ever got to a place that I could speak out about this because my introverted like self wouldn't so like vomit everywhere mm-hmm. um, that I oh. would like share and and so that is what I do and I and I do think it is probably one of the most powerful things I mean that's a big part of AA right mm. which is oh, yeah. this like we come we share our stories we connect with other people we derive so much meaning from narrative and story. And it's our most ancient form of healing. We've mm-hmm. had it forever. It's a reason it still exists. It works and it and it helps and we need it as humans. Um, yeah. It, you know, in the 12 steps, the last step is sponsorship, which is basically taking your trials and tribulations and mm, transforming them into a helpful, a helping hand to the next person who's inevitably struggling or else they wouldn't have sought your help. Um, right. Were you in AA? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. T- can you tell when us a I, little bit about your, your healing journey? Just, well, just in the spirit no of, like t- you said, <laughs> just a, a little bit there's about, no about <laughs> there's no short version. Okay. But give us a little taste if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can, I'm going to, I'm going to spice up this, this question. If you can weave in the nervous system healing work that you've done on yourself, I would be so grateful because I, people uh, are, we're just coming to this understanding of the nervous system. Um, and I've been finding it really helpful in my own life. And I, I see with, with my plain eyes that it's been helpful for you. So, all right, that's my challenge to you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm that person who like, when I see a new therapist, it's like, takes us two sessions to go through my whole story. So Mm. I will try to give you my, my Cole's notes, but listen, I'm a kid who grew up like in a very dysfunctional home and there was, you know, abuse and there was, all kinds of stuff going on of parents who just needed to work on their stuff and didn't grow up in a time when people were working on their own stuff. And so like many of us, we kind of inherit that um, as kids. And so I also think as a very, you know, bright young girl, I was able to get away with it not being caught by anyone. Mm. So I was a good girl. I got good grades. I didn't, you know, have outbursts in class. And so even though I was struggling and looking back was a really depressed kid and mm. had it, later got diagnosed with ADHD. And now if you've been following along, I'm like actually going through the process of getting an autism assessment to see oh, if like yeah. that's a part of my story. So Natalie, I, I nothing really, was caught. I really, really, really uh, identify with the story. <laughs> like the, that, that's the, that's the sort of, um, that that's the, the OA speak of being like, oh yeah, me too. I really mm-hmm. identify with this story also. And I also, um, have been curious to know if like my highly sensitive nature, I also have ADHD. I I'm like, am I autistic? And if I am, well, what will it change? But I, I, it doesn't really change much yeah. other than how we choose to identify and what it means to us, right? Yeah. But it's not going to make like other like therapies or like it's not going to change 
the work we do, like the mm. healing work is the same, but yeah, it can change how we identify mm. um, and the story we have about ourselves. Mm. And so, yeah, so I didn't fall apart. I like made it through my teenage years, developed an eating disorder, like around 18, went off to university and then like completely fell apart. Um, like many people do when they finally leave their home. Because when we're in the home where the dysfunction is, it can be a survival response to actually stay contained and to like, you know, like there is, and also you sometimes don't know how bad it is till you mm -hmm. leave. And so yeah. I think a part of my initial crumbling was moving out and meeting people and making friends and seeing them interact with their parents and being like, oh, I don't have that relationship with my parents. And oh, I never. Yeah. And then, of course, you throw in the stress of university or college and things just get really difficult for people who might have struggled when they were younger and kept it together. And now there's just too much pressure because you've got essays and exams. And, and so that was like the beginning of my unfolding, mm. <laughs> if we call it that, mm. um, and fell into, you know, depression and had a suicide attempt <laughs> and um, struggled with binge eating and just which turned into drinking. And um, yeah. so, you know, many years of trying to find ways to regulate a very dysregulated nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so that's what food is. That's what substances are. They are that's our attempt to regulate a nervous system that is incredibly dysregulated and cannot cope with the world around you. And part of what's fascinating about diving into the highly sensitive and then the neurodivergent literature is as you start to learn about it, you understand how complex it is that mm -hmm. there are some people who come into the world with these nervous systems that are more sensitive and that are going to be more impacted by the stressors in mm. their environment. Mm. So that's why you can have three kids who grew up in the same home and they all have different experiences mm. of that home. Their nervous systems all have different experiences of that home. Can you give us a working definition of a highly sensitive person yeah. I know I didn't answer your question yet about what my healing looked like. We just got to the, <laughs> to the bad stuff. Oh, but. yeah. We didn't get – well, you went to AA. That There was a healing there. So I spent, yeah, about a year in AA. And I really – like because I moved around a lot. I lived in Toronto. Then I lived in New York. And then I lived in Israel. And then I was back to Toronto. And and so I was never really in cons like therapy with one person because I was constantly moving. And I also struggled like many people do to find – the right fit as a therapist. But I would say many years of like therapy, self-help, nutrition, exercise, like lifestyle. Mm. And then I think the biggest thing was my husband. Mm. As someone who never had secure attachment, my biggest healing came from my attached relationship, my securely attached relationship with my husband. And still to this day, it is my greatest tool in my healing. I have to tell you, Natalie, I really do wish we were in person so that I could just hug you because I, you know, I just had that moment with my husband this morning. You know, a friend had hurt my feelings and the hurt went so deep. I turned to him and I was just like, it's been 16 years and you have loved me and stood by me. And 
I just am in awe of our bond. I'm just so grateful. And, you know, I, I, I am so moved by that experience for both of us that we yeah. could create well, family. We get, we get wounded in relationship. And so healing comes from relationship. I'm so happy he's great. <laughs> that mm. You're great together. I'm so Likewise. Glad. I likewise. And I wish for everyone. And it doesn't have to be a partner. It could be a friend. It can be like, totally. but we need that. And I, and I think that's where therapy can be challenging. And I've always mm. known this. And it's why so much of my mission in life is figuring out what are the alternatives to therapy. Because if you're just meeting someone once a week for an hour, yeah. That person cannot fill they're not they're not going to be there in all those moments when you need them. But we you need are. people. We I need am. other people. We need people. We I need actually, other people. But we do need other people. I had a therapist who once was like who kept saying like I need to be my own best friend and I need to be my own mom and I need to be and I was like full of rage because at some point First of all, I am. By default, we are. We are the only people walking around holding our nervous systems together, loving us to the best of our ability all day, every day, through the night. And sometimes, particularly if we didn't have um, what we needed growing up, or if we are highly sensitive, meaning we had a more sensitive nervous system, uh, that can dysregulate more easily. We need someone to lend us their nervous system, which you speak so beautifully about. Can you tell us what that means, actually? Lending you... the nervous system? Yeah. yeah. And I'll define what a highly sensitive person is. I haven't forgot your question. Uh, you're yes, great at co-regulation. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> co-regulation is when we need to, like, let's just say human beings, we are hardwired to be interdependent. So there's a lie out there that says that I should be able to be my own healer and to do all of this on my own. We need to buy myself people. flowers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we get lots of messages out there that tell us we should be able to do this, but we're just not wired that way. And so we're wired to be able to co-regulate. So when my nervous system starts to get dysregulated, then I can borrow someone else's nervous system, my partner ideally, who has managed to stay regulated. What, what can often happen is we both end up dysregulated and then that's where chaos ensues. But if, but if they're regulated, then I can borrow their regulation and that mm. can help my body start to come back into that place of mm. ease and regulation and calm. You do and that with your children. This is what you do with babies. This is literally yeah. how we teach babies. They come out into the world. They cry. We put them on our chest we release oxytocin. Oxytocin decreases cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. And once that happens, the, the cortisol starts to dissipate in their body. You just know, you can feel if you've ever held a baby on, their, on your chest, their whole body starts to relax. Yeah. And so they are learning that when I'm in connection with another person, a trusted person, I can feel safe. And mm. I can go into, into regulation and ease. Mm. And they learn to connect the two. But if we don't have that, then we don't learn how to do that. And then we don't learn how to do that for ourselves. And so it, we have to also remember when we're telling people, you know, how to heal, 
not everyone's starting from the same place. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so it is a different journey to heal if you've had that strong, secure relationship Mm -hmm. with your own parent than it is to heal when you haven't. And Mm -hmm. so we can give people a message that they're failing, Mm -hmm. like there's something wrong with you, you're not trying hard enough, that you can't show yourself self-compassion and Mm -hmm. breathe your way through this because it's a lot to overcome. You just never learn that. You don't have the tools. And mm-hmm. so we it takes a lot of practice. Like I'm talking years and decades of practice. And so I, I think it's important that we put that out there that this is not a a quick thing that we're just going to like rewire our whole nervous system tomorrow. Did uh, did you experience a rewiring when you when you met your husband and then when you know the more you co-regulated the more safety you experienced How, what did that look like for you i think it was a long journey like of i course. think it was years of like work before him and then when i met him i had already done a lot of work and then a lot more work mm-hmm. with him and then being with him, having tons of opportunities where we trigger the crap out of each other, oh, yeah. and then we have to learn how to come back and repair. Mm-hmm. And the repair is the thing I never learned as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think most of us never learned. We never had a parent, for the most part, say, I'm so sorry I yelled at you. It's just like brushed <laughs> yeah. like, that, under the rug time, and we never it, talk about it. Yeah, at that time, it, was, it just wasn't part of the vernacular to apologize to mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so now this is something we're talking about um, and something so many of us are aware of. Mm-hmm. And the more you practice these things, the easier it gets. I think for me, the biggest sign of my healing came when I had my first son mm-hmm. and I had already been on a healing journey for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard, but I didn't relapse into any of my old coping stuff. That I, you know, it had been years since I had, you know, done any of that stuff. But the fact that I was able to navigate that hard stuff without relapsing into these coping mechanisms that had at one time been so familiar and so just there, that was a real clue to me that like, wow, like you've definitely rewired some serious shit here. (laughs) Good job. Good job. Really brava. Really. (laughs) And um. I just love the way you call them coping mechanisms and not addictions. And you don't sort of, you know, I I think I'm more and more we're realizing that when people are, you know, self-soothing by overworking or scrolling Instagram or um, overeating, undereating, you know, binge drinking drugs, what we're really learning is that these are cries, these are cries for help. The nervous system is hardwired actually to regulate mm-hmm. by any means necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, as the adults and the people who are on the healing path, can tell our little nervous systems that haven't quite developed properly or fully yet, okay, but you know, eating a, f- a whole bag of chips is only going to dysregulate you for longer and harder. So let's not do that. It really is a huge, huge sign of relief, actually, that you were able to hold your own with what I know. You, he, um, your first child, he, um, well, babies are hard. <laughs> 
babies are a lot of work. But, I, but he was colicky. Are, is that what is he that? He was what they colicky. Would call it? Yeah, yeah, he was that's colicky. a lot of demand. He had a tongue tie. Like breastfeeding was just like mm. horrifying. Like horrifying. Like blood. Oh. Like coming out. Like when he would like spit up. Like blood. Like like it was just. It was really bad. Um, your blood. He would split, spit up your blood. Yeah, like yeah. he was like biting. Like clear. my nipples were bleeding into his mouth because yeah. he was like, my nipples were so destroyed yeah. that like he was drinking my blood, and I was like, yeah. like it was just like, and it was awful. And I think you know the thing that nobody prepares you for when you come into parenthood with your own childhood traumas. Yeah. is that when things go wrong, when things are harder, you're going to see it as proof of the thing that you feared the most, which is that I'm going to be exactly like my own parents. I'm going to mm. fail. my all, like I'm going to be a bad parent, which is one thing. You then also see your own parents in a different light because you're like, okay, I can see why this was so hard for you. Like, I get it. I don't condone it, but like, I get, like, this is hard as shit. Like, this is, especially if you have a baby. Like, I was actually on my final Zoom call for my course yesterday, and we were talking about having a colicky baby. I'm like, I remember my son was like two weeks old, and I'm like, I get how, like, you end up with like shaken baby syndrome. Like, thank oh, God man. I have the tools and the resources to like yeah. not get to that place. But like, let's be clear, I was not that far off from that place when there's a baby crying like 15 hours of the day. Like I can see how someone who doesn't have the support to be like, just stop crying. And you end up with these babies who are in the hospital because of shaken mm-hmm. baby syndrome or like people who walk out and never come back because mm-hmm. they think, I'm not cut out for this. Yeah. Like I just I never had more empathy in my life and I thought I had had a lot of empathy and had experienced a lot of hard things, but that was the lowest point. Mm. Like the hardest thing I ever experienced. Was it called those baby? early months? Yeah. The early the first time, oh, yeah. the early months. The f- those yeah, that first time, those early months and like not being able to breastfeed and like Ugh just feeling like a failure and the messaging yeah. around breastfeeding and like there's just so much out there in the parenting space that does so much damage. You um, know, I have a – And like I that's a whole a, other conversation. I mean really <laughs> so much damage. The, the, um, yeah, I mean, you know, here we are in the parenting space. So I, I hope I'm not causing any damage. Hi, friend. I hope I'm not causing any damage. I love you so much, <laughs> you audience person. I just thank you. But uh, but I agree that there's just there's so much hogwash out there that's really damaging to women and babies. Like and we're, and and many of us are do, doing it ourselves. I have I have friends who are walking around in bikinis and you know their gentle parenting approach, and it's just like okay, but like how much how much help do you have? How much education do you have? Like I mean, and maybe 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 that's my own stuff I'm projecting, but I remember being also having a lot of trouble breastfeeding in the beginning. And my pediatrician was like, give him a bottle, just give him a bottle, like give him a bottle, give him the breast, mix it up. And I was like, no, 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 exclusive breastfeeding. Um, And he's like, all those blogs you're reading, those women have time to talk 
about ex- uh, exclusive breastfeeding. The people who are not talking are the ones who are pumping, who are breastfeeding, who are bottle feeding, who are doing it all over again within three hours. And there are many of those women. And I like I, I took it in, but I don't know that I believed him because it was just like onslaught of, you know, well-meaning mm-hmm. mothers, mostly. Yeah. Who well, I had a lactation consultant pre- who yeah. showed up. She's like, if you give him, I told her I gave him formula because we started him on formula two weeks. We found out that I had low supply. He wasn't getting enough. He was not gaining enough weight. And so we went out and bought him formula and gave it to him. And then the lactation consultant showed up. She's like, you know, his gut is never going to recover if you, because of that formula you gave him. I know. Or, or she said, or she called it um, uh, McDonald's. <laughs> And it's like, oh my god! What, what, also, she's talking to someone who like is, uh, recovered from an eating disorder. Like, uh, please don't tell me McDonald's. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's not true. I just want to like broadcast that it's not true. Like you, but this the babies need to be fed. Babies, babies need, need to, to be eat. fed. And also, there's a difference like between evidence based knowledge and what the research says and real life clinical stuff. And that's what I see most often in the parenting space where things go wrong is that we're sharing like this research study says that breast is best. And if you give up, give formula, they're going to have a higher incidence of ear infections. And, but like we are presenting information in a vacuum because if I continue breastfeeding, but my mental health tanks and I develop serious postpartum depression, you better believe the impact of my postpartum depression is going to be incredibly higher than the impact of that formula. So we like don't, we're not, we don't present the whole picture. And so parents, of course, if they're not trained and they don't know all of the whole picture, they hear one piece of information and go, oh shoot, I got to do this. Not realizing that it's so much more nuanced and complex than that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you do a really good job of offering real life, I wouldn't even call it advice, perspective. But I don't think you give advice so much, which I appreciate. But I think you Thank offer you. perspective and some research, food for thought. I try. It's hard to navigate, right? I think like, it's, and as someone who knows all the research, like it's hard sometimes because I know sharing things like you took my sleep course, like there's things that we know and then there's reality. And so if we were all raising babies in a vacuum where like or a we village. had all the support and in a, right, in a village, right, where we had unlimited support and someone making our meals and, you know, didn't have to go back to work. And like if we had all the things then we could do and create these perfect babies that we are able to do everything the research says, but that's not how we're living. And so then we have to make these choices. And there's always a balance, right? Like what's the cost and, you know, what's the pro and con to this and what feels like the best decision right now? And just acknowledging like we're all doing the best. And I think mm. I'm in it. Like I, and I think that's the thing that's most important to me if I share anything on my account is like, I know what it can feel like to be on the receiving end of some of those posts mm. when it's like some of the ones that are like yelling at your child. Or, and I'm like thinking about how I yelled at my kid yesterday. And of course, then immediately I feel like shit. It's like yeah. like the what we consume impacts us and we're all human. Like we're yeah. all 
in this striving for perfection isn't like helping anyone. And it's also not helping our kids. Right. Because it's not about being perfect. It's about teaching our kids how to be human. And human mm-hmm. is having emotions, feeling anger, sometimes yelling, and then apologizing and repairing mm-hmm. and being able to stay connected even mm-hmm. while we experience the whole range of our humanity. That is mm-hmm. the gift we want to give to our kids. Not mm-hmm. this, I need to be perfect and never make a mistake. Oh my gosh, I do not want to give my kids I need to be perfect because it's an, it's an impossible goal. <laughs> that's a trauma response you know needing to be perfect oh yeah and I do I I, you know I I think people use the word trauma loosely but I do think that you know that that um temperature that we're in women where we have to be perfect parents perfect bodies perfect that for for me feels like ooh, that's a flavor of (laughs) trauma like a collective trauma around womanhood uh, that I'd like to step out of. And I, I do feel like we're yeah. doing it. Yeah, we're doing Me it. Me and you, babe. We're doing it. We're, we're doing, doing it. it. <laughs> we're doing it. It's also something we have to remember is like when you become a parent, your brain becomes even more vigilant. And so oh. if you're someone who does have trauma or is highly sensitive or neurodivergent and has a more sensitive nervous system to begin with and then become a parent, you're going to be even more vigilant. Because, of Mm. course, like we're wired to keep our babies alive. Mm. And so it makes sense that we would shift into a place. They've done studies where you can see the changes to the brain. And so we know that parents have more OCD-like thinking, more obsessive thoughts, more anxiety-like thoughts. And then that gets hijacked by our culture, which is currently saying you have to be perfect. Mm. And so it's it's a combination – by this well, it's connected, right? By that. my service, by my product, 100%. Yeah. Mm. And it's very problematic. Yeah. Um, I feel so seen in that, by the way. I'm like, wait, why did I get more crazy? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Like kinda, I was like kind of crazy. But then I had kids. <laughs> but then I had a – actually, interestingly, I had a little boy, which I was like, oh, one level of crazy. Notch up. All right. I can handle this. And then I had a girl. And for me, the identification of a little girl was like, we're going to get really crazy now. (laughs) (laughs) But I do feel like the, you know, the universe, God, life served me these triggers in order for me to heal my nervous system, to get to know myself better, to connect me with with women like you. You know, I think it's not like it's not like I got I got more hypervigilant, um, quote unquote, crazier. I, I'm just poking fun at myself. If if you if you're if you're all identifying as crazier, you're not crazy. You're, you're doing you're doing your <laughs> biological imperative of keeping your kids alive. We won't cancel alive. you for saying crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, but I I do think that like you know the life has a way of sort of filtering through. Um, whatever I need to do to get to the next step of my consciousness journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I was pregnant, it was like, maybe I'm at a higher risk for postpartum depression, but I was like, I had been well for so many years. It had been like Mm. six, seven years since I had like had any, and I was like, I'll be fine. And then I like had my son and I was like, whoa, I was not prepared for how much of my shit was going to come up. <laughs> and it's like, just going to keep shockingly. coming up. <laughs> yeah, it just keeps coming up. It just yeah. keeps coming up. Yeah. 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 Okay, great. Ditto. Okay. So okay. let's really talk about 
what is the highly sensitive person and then what's the highly sensitive family because i mm-hmm. i love that name um but i'd love for you to just define those terms if if you can yeah so let me ta- start with the highly sensitive family and then i'll tell you what okay is. yeah let's so do it me, a highly sensitive family consists of like a family where there's one or more members who would have what i would call a more sensitive nervous system, meaning a nervous system that is more prone to getting dysregulated, getting bumped into fight, flight, or freeze, that is Mm. more likely to be impacted by the sights, the sounds, everything in their environment, the emotions of others, but also the things happening inside their body. And so this can be because you're neurodivergent and within the category of neurodivergence, there are lots of things. Highly Being a highly sensitive person is one of them. Autism is another one. ADHD is another one. Being gifted, there's tons and tons of them. Mm. And what all these things share is this more sensitive nervous system and this different way of being and a different wiring and trauma. Okay. So having a trauma history actually does fall into the category of neurodivergence. And so for me, I am attempting to speak to all of that. I don't know how successfully (laughs) I capture all of that, but it is all connected. This idea of stress and trauma and having a predisposition towards a different type of wiring because Mm. then we are more affected by stress and trauma and Mm. that is more likely than to impact us. And so Mm. That was where the name came from. Um, When I started the account, my son was two. And Mm. so I had no labels for him. I had no other ways to describe him because two-year-olds don't tend to get any other labels and diagnoses. Sometimes they do. But I had a feeling probably down the road we would find other types of neurodivergence given that my husband and I are both, you know, have our own. Um, I had my ADHD like diagnosis at 22. And as as we talked about, other things will probably come out, but, but I had no other language. And so what was clear to me, like the highly sensitive family came from my experience of having this baby who was just differently wired, who needed to be held more, needed more help with co-regulation, screamed a lot more, cried a lot more, got more upset, was really couldn't take him to mom and baby groups because it was so like such a sensory overload for him, Um, really struggled with sleep, Um, all things that have to do with having this more sensitive nervous system. And so that is what I'm talking about. And and I know because I've polled my community so many times that usually like within the families that follow me, there's like one person who's highly sensitive identified and one person who's highly sensitive in ADHD and one person who's autistic in ADHD. And you usually have these families because a lot of it is genetic and gets passed down where we have these different neurodivergences and different wirings and they present in different ways, but they all kind of have this core of of a Mm. nervous system that's more sensitive. And so highly sensitive person is one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a term coined by Elaine Aaron. Mm. And it is not a just like a diagnosis, unlike things like ADHD and autism, which are in the DSM, and you you know go and get a proper diagnosis. Being a highly sensitive person is more of a way of understanding our temperament, our personality, um, and it's a trait. And mm-hmm. so 
a way I like to think about is there's an acronym LA Niren uses, which is DOES, so D-O-E-S. So I'll lead you through what those are. Okay. So D stands for depth of processing. So highly sensitive people, because they have these more sensitive nervous systems, notice so much more around them. They are taking in all kinds of information and they are taking in like a depth of information that most people don't. My and, um I once got a brain scan and they were like that's a lot of information. They were like that is so much information. Also the other thing that they that they found was that like like I I smell things more, I see things more, I definitely feel things more. Other people's feelings I'm like is that mine is that yours what's going on here? But um also that what they found was that like there's like no activity happening in the in the um executive functioning area right in the front. <laughs> but there's like like a, like she was actually this is a person who does brain scans like all the time she's like the back of your head where creativity and empathy like it sort of lives is like firing all the time boom 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 in the middle of like some random test you know like there's like a pretty boring actually um like i don't know video game that they give you during that brain scan. Anyway, just thought I'd let you know. And that makes I, sense, right? And we know neurodivergent of- folks struggle with, with executive functioning. And what do we need to access our prefrontal cortex? We need our survival brain to be turned off. We need, well, not turned off, but regulated and calm, right? So when our survival brain is going, this part of the brain shuts down because we need to conserve our energy and our resources. I'm not going to be problem solving and using executive functioning skills if I'm being chased by a lion. I just need to like get the blood to my legs and run. And so there's definitely a connection there. So yes, that's the first one. And it's our babies who like come out into the world and their eyes are wide open and they never fall asleep unless you're like bouncing the crap out of them. And they need all kinds of stimulation to overcome the fact that they are processing so much information and their nervous system is going And so they just need so much more help to calm down and regulate. So that's a D. O, which is kind of what we we're just talking about is the overstimulation piece. So you're more likely to get overstimulated because you are taking in all this information. And you know, we it's the fancy word is neuroception. So neuroception is this process is kind of like scanning our environment and saying like am I safe? Is this safe? Is this dangerous? Is this safe? Is this dangerous? And so highly sensitive people will do that more often and they're more likely to see things as dangerous that aren't. And so if you're doing that all the time, of course, you're going to get overstimulated and exhausted because that is a lot of work. And so we see that in meltdowns, right? We see that in our babies who are crying. We see that in our toddlers who are melting down because they are so overstimulated and overwhelmed by everything they're taking in. Hmm. Tell me what's coming up. Well, I just see it. I just see it in myself and I see my, my son, you know, we used to call him like spirited or gifted mm-hmm. because those were the two things that um those were the two labels labels or whatever that I could definitely see like the depth of processing is such a, a beautiful gift actually i mean it is it witnessing it in my child and then reflecting back on myself i'm like that is the world needs that and it does go hand in hand with like oh and now i've reached my <laughs> I've yeah reached, 
I've I've reached my limit before other people have, not because I don't have stamina, but because the way I'm navigating this theme park, let's say, if I go to a theme park or a department mm-hmm. store, the way I nav- navigate a theme park or a department store is different from someone else. They can get through the whole thing and be done with the day and be tired. I'm like a third of the way in and I'm like, that cotton candy was a lot of cotton candy. <laughs> oh my God. You know? And that, that and we're all going to have differences on. around the things. Like I remember my mom, like as a kid, like my mom wanting to go to the mall. And like I could be in the mall for like 30 minutes and just get lightheaded. Like it was just too yes. much for me. I hated going to the mall. Like hated it. Um, and so there is this thing, yeah, that like we move through the world differently. And so so that's O. E is the empathy piece. So they've done lots of studies on highly sensitive people in their brains, and they, they know that highly sensitive people have more reactive mirror neurons, which means that if I'm feeling sad, your mirror neurons are what lights up and you experience that sadness. So you will feel what I'm feeling much mm. more because they're more reactive than the average person. Mm. Mm-hmm. So think about that in our kids, mm. right, who don't yet have any of those tools and skills. They are feeling so much more and vice versa. If you're a highly sensitive person and your baby is crying, you're going to feel what they're feeling so much more than the average person, which is going to make your experience of parenting so much harder. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is sensitive to sensory stimulation. And so, you know, a hallmark of being a highly sensitive person is that you tend to have at least one sensory system that is hypersensitive. So sounds can feel really loud or smells can feel really, you know, strong. Or Natalie, can lights you imagine, are too bright. Can you imagine living in New York City? <coughs> I lived in New York City for two years. Oh my God. It's been, I'm going on year 28 of living in New York City. And I'll tell you, it's a lot. A lot of smells. So much smells. And my husband, what's so interesting is like my neurotypical, beautiful, securely attached husband is like, I do not smell it. And I'm like, it's so (laughs) strong. I could, like, I really could die from this smell. For like a year, I was trying to tell my husband there was mold, okay? I'm like, I can smell the mold. There's mold in our roof. He's like, you're a lunatic. I don't smell anything. And when I was pregnant, everything got even more heightened. I don't know if you experienced that. But when I was pregnant, like my sensitivities got even more. And so I was like telling him. He like thought I was crazy. Finally, I like convinced him to get the people to come. They're like, yeah, there's mold right in the corner where I like told him it was and I could smell it. And so the way, you know – what I love about the way Elaine Aaron writes about being a highly sensitive person is that she really positions it as this, this like beneficial trait that would have been like something that would have helped our like village survive. So if I'm the highly sensitive person in my village of like 50 people, 
and I'm the one who's going to smell the fire before anyone else notices it. I'm the one who's going to hear the rustling in the bushes before anyone else hears it. This is a trait that is like really adaptive and beneficial to have within our communities, like to have certain people who possess this trait who can help keep everyone else alive. But what it is, is really this like survival response, right? We have a more heightened survival response. And what it requires is a world that can nurture it rather than trigger it. The tricky thing is we all live for the most part in worlds that are really busy, that are overstimulating, where we're always going, 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 where there's so much information. And it's the opposite of what a highly sensitive nervous system needs Mm -hmm. in order to stay in that place where they're well and balanced. And that's where the mother comes in, right? Or the parent or the grandparent or in the case of a child, now that we have this information, where we create a world within a world Mm -hmm. that is a little more predictable, a -hmm. little kinder. Yeah. And safer. Yeah. I wonder though, um, being in, uh, a highly sensitive person, maybe even being autistic, you'll keep us posted. I will. <clears throat> and having that tendency toward overstimulation, what happens at minute 40 when both children are still crying in the car and you're not at the destination? What happens to your body and what do you do to take care of it in order to take care of the two little bodies <laughs> in your kitchen. Yeah. So, you it's, know, it's, so that you can create things. that world within a world. Yeah. So mm. it's, first of all, it's knowing, like being aware that this is like who I am and that mm. there are needs that I have. And so it's being able to plan accordingly. So I don't drive, like when my babies are babies, I don't drive anywhere farther than five minutes. My parents live 40 minutes away. I'm like, so if you want to come see them, you have to come here. Mm-hmm. And so being able to say no to things, being able mm-hmm. to wake up in the morning and being like, I know we were going to go to the beach today, but I didn't get a good night's sleep and I'm feeling like I could get really easily triggered. Maybe today's not the day to go to the beach. Let's call it and stay at home instead. Like it's being able to make these decisions about the way we live our life based on the practice of learning to tune in to my body and what's happening, mm. which is the first skill that's really hard. <laughs> mm. Being able to slow down enough to be like, oh, how am I feeling this morning? I know I told my friend I'd meet them at the park, but I might have to be that person who cancels today. We might yeah, I'm that person who cancels. Drive. I'm that person who cancels. I, I wonder if you experience the guilt or the shame around being that person or have you good tell me more about that so I'm gonna adopt that tell me more about not (laughs) feeling bad about getting your own needs met yes (laughs) I think for me I, I I know my core value is being well I know how hard I have had to fight in my life to be in a place where I am well and I also know that because of my history I am just more at risk for getting Mm. out of balance. And so because I have this as my value, and especially now having children, it is I want to be well so that I can support them. Mm. Every decision is in service of that. Mm. And I 
if a grown adult is going to have feelings about me not showing up for the play date, those are their feelings and they can process them and I can apologize, but I feel zero guilt for that. Um, and I think we all just need to have more compassion and goodwill and be able to see that everyone's just trying to do their best. Mm. And... And yeah, but I do think it comes down to being really solid in like, what is my value? Like, what's my core value in this world mm. and how I want to move through it? I really appreciate that. That feels so good. It also feels so good that you made time for this, for me and you. <laughs> it feels so great mm, to know that this is part of your um, feeling good. How amazing is that? Oh, yes. Well, you are, I like have been so excited to do this because like I said, I like love you. I like love seeing your stuff and I love your like lit, your Yiddish singing and like, I just like want to like, just like come hang out with you I know. for like a week. Um, where, but in, where in Canada are you? I'm in Toronto. You're in Toronto. That's right. Not that that's far. right. 90 no. minute flight. It really is amazing <laughs> what this, yeah, that's not bad. It really is amazing what I, I, I I know that that Instagram is not a great place sometimes, but really, I mean, the fact that we have such a kinship just based on interacting online is really amazing. And it's so yeah. nourishing. You know, it's so worth the time, actually, to connect with people who are like-minded. I agree. Just, you just speaking your own life story and also offering that amazing wisdom around feeling good about working toward your wellness, maintaining your wellness, even amplifying it was such medicine for me. I'm so mm. grateful. Thank you. I'm well, so thank you grateful. for having me here. Thank you so much. What is, what is your um, hope for your community? Moving forward. It's a good question. It's something I think about a lot. I think I think my hope is that it can be a safe place. Mm -hmm. It can be a safe place for people to feel seen and to hopefully learn something mm -hmm. about themselves or their kids that will make its way into their day in some way. Mm. But I think like anything, as I evolve and grow. I mean, I never would have – you want to know something crazy? When yeah. I was in Israel, mm -hmm. I had a rabbi uh, – I was living with a, a rabbi. Um, and he – it's a crazy story for another time, which you'll love, but we don't have time because I saw she gave you the five-minute warning. But <laughs> <laughs> he was like, one day you're going to write a book that's going to help thousands of women. And I remember thinking like, why women? Because I was like 25 and I'm like, yeah. why just women? Like, what am I going to write that's going to just be for women? And now I write online and 98% of my audience is women. And I'm like, oh my God, I would have never seen it. Like I would have never known that becoming a mother would have lit this fire in me to become so outspoken about all of these things. Yeah. But, and so who knows, in 10 years, there might be another fire. <laughs> <laughs> that gets lit under me in a different way. Um, but for now, I'm happy to just be in it and continue getting to meet incredible women like yourself and 
it's just been such a gift. And yes, there's lots of crap that comes with social media, but there's lots of incredible stuff that comes as well, like being able to meet people you otherwise would never get to be able to meet yeah. within your like little village or town or city where you live. So yeah, I just I, feel I really hope, grateful. I I feel really grateful too. And I, I hope that you, maybe one day we we can read that book. You know, I, I can go on Instagram and read a lot of your beautiful writing, but wouldn't it be cool if it was in a book? Mm. I also love the, I love, I love the little <laughs> tidbit around um, 98% of your uh, community are, are women. And I, I just imagine like those women creating the world within a world, you know, like with these, I think men are fantastic. I mean, the two men that we just three actually when including that rabbi are changed our lives completely right like our our partners in particular mm -hmm. um but there is something about the strength of women the softness of women the curiosity of women to learn a whole new language the nervous system really is a whole new language the this new um like research around being you know neurodiverse it's new and it's subtle and I just really honor all of you who are listening, all of you who are listening and who have listened throughout this entire conversation because it's that curiosity and that dedication to creating these world within worlds, these, this, this safe container for our families and for ourselves that actually will ripple out into the greater collective. I really do believe that. Yeah, I do too. Thank you for your work. Where can we find you? You can find me at Highly Sensitive Family on Instagram. My website's www.highlysensitivefamily.com. Um, and yeah, send me a message. Let me know if like this is how you found me. I'd love to hear from you. I try to get back unless you like I get 500 DMs at once. I mm. try to respond to my DMs <laughs> to the best of my ability. So yes, would love well, to that's how you. we met. So just to, if you're feeling shy, I'll let you guys know. We're there. Yeah, we're this here. This is literally how we met in your DMs. Yeah. 100%. Thank you so, so, so much. I can't wait Thank for you. more of our hanging out and to hear the rest of that story, by the way, Natalie. <laughs> One day. Have a great day, friends. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Mom Curious podcast. My name is Daniela Ravani. I am your host. And I would love to continue this conversation at Daniela Rabani on Instagram. And if you'd be so kind to rate and review, share this podcast, I would be just really grateful. Catch you next time, every Tuesday on the Mom Curious Podcast, produced by Hoff Studios. You can find them at Hoff Studios on Instagram as well. All right, have a great day.